Well, like I said, we're starting a brand new series, and um, sometimes our, ser- our sermon series are connected to our vision, and this is very much one of those sermon series. And uh, our vision has four words to it. Uh, the four words are reach, connect, equip, and send. And uh, th- this particular sermon series is going to be related to that first word, reach. And the idea of reach is this, is this idea that we want to be a church, as Carter was saying earlier, that not only is located in Batesville, has a, has a building in Batesville, we want to be a church that is for the city of Batesville. In other words, we want to be a church that doesn't just exist for ourselves, right? So the reason that we're here is not just for us. We want to exist for those who are on the outside, those who are not yet members, uh, those people in our neighborhoods and in our communities. We want to be a church for those people on the outside of these four walls. And we always say that, you know, we want to be a church that if, if we were gone tomorrow, like if we were zapped away and Fellowship Bible Church was just sort of a hole on Main Street, that the city would miss us, that they would be sad that we're gone, that we'd m- be making such an impact, that we'd be making such a, uh, a positive impact on our community, that, the, that, the, that our community would actually miss us if we were gone. And I know that that's not just our church. I know that that's a lot of your heart beats as well. A lot of you want to be Christians that exist for other people. A lot of you want to be Christians that make a difference in the people that you know. A lot of you want to be Christians that actually are a positive influence on those people that don't believe. You know, and so you're serving in youth ministry, and you're, and you're sharing your faith at work, and you're inviting people to church. Uh, this is not just something that is true for us corporately. I know that for many of you, this is your heartbeat as well. You want to be a church, or you want to be a church, you probably just want to be a person that, uh, that, that has an influence. But the question is, the question we're going to ask in this series is, how do we do that? I mean, it's real nice to say that, but how do we do that tangibly? Like, what does that look like in our lives? And uh, the answer I want to propose in this series is that one of the best ways that we could make a difference as a church and as individuals, uh, one of the best ways that we can uh, be a church for the city is with this idea of neighboring. Can we all say that word? Neighboring, yes. And, uh, you know, this idea of neighboring, it's so powerful. And and maybe some of you can remember good neighbors that you've had, uh, you know, in your neighborhoods. You know, people in your lives, people next door that were just uh, incredible neighbors. Uh, I remember I had a neighbor, his name was Joe, and and Joe would, uh, he owned a lawn business, he was also a teacher at a local high school, and he would mow our lawn without asking, and he would give you the shirt off of his back, like this guy Joe is incredible, and so I want to talk about how do we all be like Joe, I mean, how can we all be good neighbors? Because when you think about the word neighbor, I mean, who's the person that you think about? You know, won't you be my neighbor? Who, Who is the person that you think about when you think of the word neighbor? No, this is church, people. The, the, the right answer is Jesus. This is not a trick question here. <laughs> right, Jesus, you know. And so uh, Jesus had a lot to say about that, and so we're going to look at this. Uh, but before we do, I want to I uh, bring up this, this book that I read that really had a big influence on me as I was studying for the series. It's going to come up on the screen. It's called How to Neighbor, The Art of Neighboring is what it's called. And the inspiration for the book was actually really interesting there were a group of pastors and a group of church leaders that uh, they wanted to make a difference in their city. Uh, They wanted to uh, make an impact. They wanted to care for their city and and love the people around them. And so what they did, they had a great idea. They went to the mayor of their city, 
and they just straight up asked them. They said, look, what, you're the mayor. Uh, you know, what is your dream for our city? I mean, what could we do? If you could wave a magic wand and have any change happen in our city, I mean, what would you want us to do as a church? What, what would you want us to engage in? I mean, what could, what could we do that would make the biggest difference in our city? And the mayor said something interesting. He responded, it's really quite interesting and embarrassingly simple, to tell you the truth. He said, the biggest single factor by far that helps the city flourish is having a sufficient number of really good neighbors. That's what the mayor said. And he says, you know, it's, it's amazing. He says, when people begin to become good neighbors, he says, incredible things happen in a community. When people, when neighbors begin to care, he says, the elderly are watched out for. And he said that at-risk young people stop being so at-risk. Crime actually goes da- way down, and volunteering actually goes way up. People start taking better care of their homes and their yards, and, and odd things like property values start to get better. And he, and he said isolated people get a lot less lonely when people begin to care about their neighbors. And then the mayor said this. He says, most of the problems we would, be, would be eliminated or greatly reduced if a city just had a sufficient number of really good neighbors. He says, people are always calling me and saying, you know, you ought to start this program or that program. And sometimes we try, but eventually, inevitably, the funding goes down or we're not able to find really good people to lead those programs. And then he said, it turns out that relationship always trumps program. If churches really want, if they're really serious about making a difference in their community, the best thing that they could do is love their neighbors. Now, these are church people talking to the mayor. The mayor's saying this. But didn't Jesus say something about loving your neighbor? I mean, doesn't the Bible have a lot to say about this thing, about neighboring? I mean, it seems to me that this was not something that was low on Jesus' priority list. This is something he talked about all the time, loving your neighbor. Could it be that when Jesus said, love your neighbor, he actually meant your neighbor? One of the authors says, could it be that Jesus was actually giving us the most strategic proposal to change our communities? And so to kick off our series, I want to look at one of the verses where Jesus talks about loving your neighbor. All right, this is Matthew 22, as we looked at earlier, and uh, we're looking at verses 34 to 40. And we're just going to look at what Jesus said about loving your neighbor, and then we're going to try to apply it to what that might look like in our neighborhoods and uh, maybe in our workplaces. And I want us to see three things as we look at this verse. Uh, Number one, we're going to see the importance of neighboring. Second of all, we're going to see the practice of neighboring. And then finally, we're going to see the neighbor of neighboring. All right, so the importance, the practice, and the actual neighbor who's the object of your neighboring. And so first, uh, the, the importance of neighboring. Notice it says here that when the Pharisees heard that that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And we'll stop there. Now, notice here it starts with a lawyer who comes up to Jesus and wants to test him. 
And uh, this uh, lawyer, he wasn't a, an expert in civil law. This was a lawyer who was an expert in religious law. He was a religious leader. He studied the Bible. And so he asked Jesus, uh, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And this is something that the, uh, the rabbis were always trying to do. You know, there were some 613 laws, and they were always trying to boil it down to principles, uh, summary principles, to sort of get out what is the essence of these 613 rules, right? If we could boil it down, what, is it, what does it all come down to? And so he decides to test Jesus to see what sort of rabbi he is, and he says, uh, teacher, what is the great commandment? I mean, what do you say? What do you think is the most important thing in the law? Uh, if you could boil it down, what is the greatest commandment? And here's what Jesus says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Now, when Jesus said this, this would have been, this would have been a, a really good rabbi uh, of him to do this. I mean, everybody would have expected him to say this. Um, any good rabbi would have made the exact same statement. Uh, he, the essence of the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This uh, phrase comes out of an Old Testament verse in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6.4. And it's the most sacred text in all of Israel. It's the essence of the law, and it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And this is, I mean, this is a huge thing in Israel. It was, it was, it, it, they had a name for it. It was called the Shema. And uh, the, word, the Hebrew word Shema is the word for here, and that's the first word of that statement. And so this is, uh, this is something they would teach their children. Every good uh, Israelite child grew up learning this statement, the Shema. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Uh, this is a huge deal in Israel. It wouldn't have been a very big deal for Jesus to say, this is the essence of the law. You know, God cre created everything. Of course, we ought to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But what Jesus says next would have been staggering. It would have been shocking because notice what Jesus says. He goes on and he says here, and the second is like it. What do you mean the second? The man only asked for one commandment. What is the one commandment to summarize the whole law? Jesus gives him a second one. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so Jesus does something here that would have been absolutely staggering and shocking to everyone. He adds an addendum onto the sacred Shema. And he, and he puts it on the same par, and, and, and he, says, he says, look, that's the greatest commandment, but, but the second is like it. The second flows out of it. The second is connected to it. You shall love the Lord your God, or you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in order, you guys don't look very shocked by this. But in order to help you get the shock, it would have been like, uh, you know, to, it would have been like putting an addendum on the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, you know, uh, we all know the Pledge of Allegiance. It says, I pledge, I, I pledge allegiance to the flag and to the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, visible with liberty and justice for all. Uh, Jesus, it would have been like if we added on to that phrase, especially for Batesville. Right, liberty, justice for all, especially for Batesville. No, we can't do that. Right? Nobody has the right to add on to the Pledge of Allegiance. It, it, none of us have that authority. But here Jesus adds an addendum onto the sacred Shema. 
And why does he do that? It's because there's a theme in Judaism, there's a theme in the Old Testament that goes like this, that, that loving God and loving others is completely connected. And you can't do one without the other. And this was a theme that was hugely important, but it was always being forgotten. And what Jesus does is, in a, in a breathtaking act of authority, weds these two things together in a way that the world would never forget. And he makes it the essence of Christianity. He says, look, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to follow me, you need to understand that you cannot love God without loving your neighbor. You cannot succeed at loving God and fail at loving the people around you. The essence of what it means to follow me is to love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't do this, you really don't love God. And Jesus was always doing every parable he told from the uh, Good Samaritan to turning the other cheek to going the second mile was getting at this idea that if you're really going to love God, you need to learn to love the people around you. In fact, at one point, Jesus says, he names all of these people, uh, the sick and the people who are poor and the people who don't have clothes and who don't have food. And he says, if you have not, whatever you haven't done to the least of these, you haven't done to me. Jesus so identifies with your neighbor that if you fail to love your neighbor, you're failing to love him. And so neighboring, loving your neighbor, caring about your neighbor is hugely important to Christianity. On this hangs all the law and the prophets I want you to see. And if you fail to do this, you should feel the contradiction immediately. Uh, When I was growing up, I remember a very specific time where I failed to love my neighbor. And uh, my, this, this guy's name was Joe. I told you about him earlier. Joe would give you the shirt off his back. He's a wonderful guy. And there was one time where uh, I w- it, we were way back a long time when we were teenagers, and we had all the youth group over to my house to have a baptism. We had a pool in our backyard. And the pool was, uh, the filter had broken, and so it was turning all green. And we realized we couldn't do the baptism in our pool. And we thought, well, wait a minute, Joe has a pool. And so my brother ran next door and knocked on Joe's Joe's door. Joe wasn't home. And Joe began to think, or Josh said, uh, that's my brother, Joe's a really good guy. He wouldn't mind if we used his pool without asking him. And so Josh hopped the fence. He went and, and unlocked Joe's gate, and we led 50 kids into Joe's backyard. And we proceeded to have a baptism. And it was, it was amazing. I mean, we, had, we were baptizing kids. There were guitars going on back there. I mean, it was a spiritual event. You know, re- revival was breaking out. We all couldn't believe what God was doing. And then Joe got home. And Joe walked back, and Joe did not think this was amazing. Joe was actually incredibly angry. And he was hurt, too, because he thought, why would you do this? You didn't even ask me if you could do this. And, and so... We quickly, you know, baptized all the rest of the kids, you know, and got the heck out of there. But I remember when when Joe was sitting there looking at all of us in horror, I could feel the contradiction. Right here we were loving God, you know, doing baptisms, but we were wronging our neighbor. And I could feel that contradiction, and you ought to feel that contradiction. If you are not caring for people around you, you ought to feel that. You shouldn't go far down that road before it starts to, you can feel it in your gut. Something is wrong here. I cannot love God and be a Christian and go to church and mistreat people in my life. 
It is the essence of Christianity. It is incredibly important. This is called the great commandment. That's why it's called the great commandment. But let's go on and ask the, que- ask the question, what does it look like to love your neighbor? Let's look at the practice of neighboring. Because notice Jesus says, you shall love your neighbor. And so what does it mean to love your neighbor? Right, I, I love pizza, you know, I love uh, hot dogs. What does it mean to love my neighbor? I mean, what does that actually look like? If we were going to take this commandment seriously, what would it actually look like to begin to love your neighbor? Well, the best uh, definition of love that I can think of is the, uh, uh, it goes like this. Love is to will the good of, of your neighbor. It, mean, it means to will the good. It means to do tangible good to the people around you. Right, it's not some esoteric thing in the Bible. Love is this word agape. And agape is this idea of very tangible, doing good for people in your life. This is what it means to love them. Now notice, uh, to love somebody doesn't mean that you simply desire them. You know, people are really confused about this idea in our culture. Uh, This idea that love equals desire. Uh, Love is much more than desire. And if you just desire somebody, it doesn't necessarily mean that you love them. Uh, you know, the, the, one of my favorite places to eat in Batesville is Fox Creek, and they have these amazing uh, barbecued ribs. I, I go there a little bit too much, probably. And uh, I love these things. They, they cook them, they barbecue them right on the, on, the, on the premises, and then they bring them in piping hot to your table, and they've got just the right amount of spice on them, and then they've got this barbecue sauce. Uh, my favorite is the sweet pig. And you can just pour this stuff all over Uh, you know, the ribs, and you get some sweet potato fries with them, and it's so delicious. And to me, this is the greatest proof of the existence of God, I think, in the world, eating these ribs. And they're amazing. I love them. I desire them. But I don't watch over them. I don't will their good. I want to eat them. Right? And so love is much more than simply desiring somebody or having emotional feeling towards something. You know, the other day, my, my little boy, Lukey, my wife put this on Facebook. He said, I love mommy, I love daddy, but I still love soup, right? Love is way more than desiring. Love is willing somebody's good. It is simply doing good for other people. And love is way more than simply uh, doing whatever somebody wants you to do. Any of you who are a parent, you know about this. You know, you don't just do whatever your kids want you to do. If you love them, you will their good. And sometimes you say no. And so uh, love is always doing good for somebody as God defines their good. And love is way more than simply a nice sentiment. You know, a lot of us say, oh, I, I love my neighbor, or I might love my, this person or that person. But, but love in the Bible is a real concrete, tangible thing. When you love somebody, it has to do with the way you treat them in real life. It's not just loving a bland humanity. Oh, I love the world. It's, it's putting a name and a face to the person that you're going to love. It is doing, it's willing the good of a particular person. In uh, the, bro- the, the uh, book Brothers Karamazov, uh, uh, there's this great uh, character. He's a doctor. And he's a doctor who's a humanitarian. And he says, I love humanity. He, he always says, oh, I love humanity. And he's always, uh, you know, giving money to charities. But he says, I hate people. I love humanity, but I hate people. 
And maybe some of you relate to that. You probably shouldn't, but maybe some of you do. But here's what he says in the book. He says, the more I love humanity in general, the less I love man in particular. In my dreams, I often make plans for the service of humanity, and perhaps I might even face crucifixion if it were suddenly necessary. Yet I am incapable of living in the same room with another person for any more than two days. I know from experience, as soon as anyone is near me, his personality disturbs me and restricts my freedom. In 24 hours, I begin to hate the best of men. One because he's too long over dinner, and another because he has a cold and keeps blowing his nose. I become hostile to people the moment they come close to me, but it always happens the more I hate men individually, the more I love humanity. Jesus won't let you do this. In the Bible, love is willing the good. It's not simply desire. It's not simply doing whatever somebody wants you to do. It's not having real nice thoughts about all humanity. It is doing good to the people in your life. Willing the good. Doing to others as you want them to do to you. This is what love is in the Bible. This is what it means to love your neighbor. And of course, when you see it this way, love takes incredible courage, doesn't it? I mean, to open yourself up to people like this, to make yourself vulnerable takes courage. And to pour yourself out, it takes sacrifice. And sometimes it's messy. And it's, it's never, ever easy to love people like this. It is always hard, and most of the time you end up being hurt. Because love always makes you vulnerable. It always will break your heart. And so let's look at the final point, which is the neighbor of neighboring. Notice who Jesus tells us to love. He says, look, this is the most important thing, love for God and love for others. What does it mean to love? Well, it's to will the good of others. Who am I supposed to love? He says, I want you to love your neighbor. I want you to love your neighbor. Here he gets really concrete. He doesn't say, uh, you know, I don't want you to love a cause necessarily, or some abstract group of marginalized people who are conveniently located on the other side of the globe. It's to love the tangible people in your life, your neighbors. Now, the word neighbor is an interesting word. It's, uh, I forget, I don't know if it's German or what, but it come, it's two different words put together uh, to make one word. It's the word ne or nigh, you know, to draw nigh to somebody that's near, and the word bore is to dwell. So neighbor literally means to dwell near. Somebody once said that your neighbor is the bore next door, right? It's, it's to dwell near somebody. That's what a neighbor literally is. And so I think what Jesus is getting at here when he talks about your neighbor is loving the real flesh and blood, imperfect people that live in proximity to you. Maybe the people that actually live right next door to you. And so here's the question I want to ask, kind of the application of the message. Are you loving, loving, loving? Are you loving your literal neighbor? In the book, The Art of Neighboring, somebody makes a statement. Her name was Vicki Ryer. She's a city official. And she said, from the, pers- from the city's perspective, there isn't a notice- noticeable difference and how Christians and non-Christians neighbor in our community. And so that's the question I have for you. Are you any different than non-Christians when it comes to this? 
are we as Christians, when we go back into our neighbors, neighborhoods, are we neighboring differently than the average non-Christian in Batesville? Are we loving our literal neighbors? Now, I want to get really practical with this before we end. I want to just get down to the nitty-gritty. And a, a graph is going to come up on the screen. And we're just going to get, I mean, the sermons are meant to be lived out, so we want to make this really practical. And so I, wanna, I want us to do a little exercise that will help us do this maybe a little bit better. Okay? As you look up on the screen, uh, you will see uh, several boxes. And I want, to I want you to imagine that you are living in the house in the middle. And I want you right now just kind of mentally to think in your mind of the people that live around you. Think of all the people that live in these houses that, that are all around you. Now, some of you I know, I mean, this is Batesville. Some of you live in the country, and there's not a person for miles around. Uh, you know, some of you might have to get a little creative with this. Maybe think of those as cubicles. Maybe think of them as something else in your life. I don't know. But think about people that are dwelling around you in some way, shape, or fashion, and preferably people that are your neighbors. And I want you to get real practical and think about to yourself, how do I begin to love these people? And I want, us, as we end here, to give you some suggestions. I want to give you some steps that you can take to, to sort of see if you're actually doing this. I want you to, number one, I want you to learn the, those people's names. It's really hard to love people when you don't know their name. And so ask yourself the question, do I know the names of the people that live in those houses? Do I, do I know any of their story? Do I know anything about them? Just kind of maybe write down anything you know about those people that live in those houses. Now, if you're like me, uh, you, you didn't know all of those names. I knew the, the people across because they go to our church. I knew the people on this side and that side. I had to find out this guy's name from the little... Uh, a little sign on his front porch. I don't know this guy's name, but this is your homework. Try to figure out what are their names. And if you're really bold, if you're really an overachiever, maybe go and try to talk to them this week. Try to, you know, ask them a question about their lives. And I know some of you are extroverts, and this is like really easy for you. I hate you. You know, this is, it's, it's not a big deal. And you know what? You know, God's going to judge you harsh, more harshly uh, on the last days if you, if you don't do that. But especially introverts, I mean, I want you to really just stretch yourself and try to do this. Just try to maybe engage your neighbor a little bit. Try to get to know their name. Secondly, I want you to pray for your neighbors. I want you to begin to pray for them. Have you ever done that? Have you maybe written their names down and just said, I'm going to one by one every day pray for my neighbors? You say, well, what do I pray for? You know, Jesus in his most famous prayer, he told us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What would it look like for the kingdom of God to come in your neighborhood? Pray for that. Inevitably, you begin to realize as you start to pray for people that there are some people in your neighborhood that you don't like. Right? Maybe there's somebody who complains about your maybe a slightly less than perfectly behaved children. Um, you know, there's, there's people in your neighborhood that you will not like. Pray especially for those people. And if you're looking at that map and you think, I can't think of anybody in my neighborhood that, that is kind of the mean person in my neighborhood. 
Maybe it's you. Maybe you're that one. Start praying for the people in your neighborhood. You know, I was meeting, there's this girl, Leslie, that did an internship uh, last summer, and I remember she was supposed to meet with me every week. I had no idea what to talk to her about. And so I just said, you know, Leslie, let's just begin praying for people in our proximity. And then we'll just come back the next week and talk about the people that we've been praying for. And so we did that, and it's amazing. The more we began to pray for people, suddenly it seemed like God was doing all sorts of things in their lives. And so pray for the people that are right next to you. Maybe next door, maybe in the next cubicle. And then finally, look for opportunities. Uh, look for opportunities to, to will their good. Look for opportunities to, uh, to care about them. You know, th- there are opportunities that I think we're missing. I want you to think about this. Maybe God has strategically put you in your neighborhood for a reason. Maybe God has put you there for a reason. You know, and it's so funny when you watch these house shows on HGTV, people are concerned about the granite countertops and the, and the curb appeal and all this stuff. Nobody moves into a neighborhood and asks, who's living there? Like, why is God putting me here? Maybe there's people that God wants me to love in my neighborhood. There was a guy that lived next door, and his, I won't tell you his name, but he was struggling one day, and, and he was the guy that lived kind of catty-corner to us, and uh, you know, I'd always been thinking maybe I should minister to him or love him or share the gospel with him or something. And I never did, I never did. Time kept on going by. And one day this guy walked across the street and he approached my wife and he says, your husband's a pastor, isn't he? And Anita says, yes. And he said, can I come to your church? And he came. And I felt like I was just, I just missed that opportunity. He had to literally seek me out. And so where are the opportunities for you and your neighborhood? So these are just kind of very beginning little things we can do. And I want to conclude just by asking the question, why should we do this? This is really hard. You might be saying, why should we do this? And the answer is because Jesus did this for you. Do you know that God himself wanted to be your neighbor? And what the book of John tells us is that in Jesus, God moves into your neighborhood. He moved into our neighborhood. It said that the word became flesh and dwelt near us, nigh us, nigh to us. And he came into our world and, and, he, and he loved those people that needed love. And he reached out to people all the time. And in one big, tremendous act of love, he laid down his life for all of us. He didn't wait for us to love him We love him because he first loved us. And so I just want to encourage us this morning, let's do what Jesus did. Now, we're going to talk about specific ways we can do this, uh, but just uh, go home, think about the graph, and try to love your neighbors. It'll make a huge difference. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your love for us, God, that you didn't just love us sentimentally or uh, in a way that's intangible, but you, uh, God, you came into our world in the person of Jesus. God, you came in and you, and you dwelt among us. You incarnated yourself among us. And Lord, I pray that we might live incarnationally in our city. God, that we as a church might look for ways that we might tangibly love our neighbors. And this might look like sharing the gospel or just 
sharing the lawnmower, or just learning people's names. But I pray that you would help us to do this. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.